Hello and welcome to your Over the Farm Gate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host, FG Deputy Editor Olivia Midgley. Thanks as ever for all your support in downloading and subscribing to the podcast. We've got plenty of action-packed episodes lined up for you in 2022, so do stay tuned. This week, we're taking a look at the support available to help those in the farming community who may have fallen on hard times or maybe just need a bit of help getting through a difficult time. We've all been there or know someone who has. But in agriculture, we really are lucky to have such a brilliant range of charities to call on. And Jess Fredenberg has been speaking to two of them to find out what help is available. But first, she speaks to a farmer who, at one time facing homelessness, was supported by the Addington Fund. Hello everyone, I'm Jez Fredenberg and I hope you're all doing okay today. You might have noticed that there's quite a lot going on in the world right now, from global political instability and climate change to everyday challenges like rising living costs, including rent. And then if you're a farmer, well, input costs are high right now and the industry is definitely going through a very big change. Now, some of this is undoubtedly going to bring opportunities and hopefully positive shifts in time. But if you're feeling a bit stressed and worried, or you're in a pickle in some way, which we all get into at some point, then you're probably not alone. And that's what we want to talk about today, Uh, specifically two farming charities that you can reach out to for help if needed. The first is the Farming Community Network, or FCN, which offers a range of support, including a confidential helpline that receives up to 150 calls a month. The second is the Addington Fund, which offers affordable or emergency housing and more recently help to match new entrants with a farm. And we'll hear from both charities in a bit. But first, here's Mickey, a former farmer in her 70s who is struggling to afford somewhere to live after her husband died and found that she wasn't on the farm tenancy agreement. Mickey now lives in a house owned by the Addington Fund and has also received help from FCN and RABI. This is her story. I'm in Sywell, which is just in Northamptonshire. It's very pretty. It's a little village, um, semi-rural. sort of It's just one bedroom bungalow, but it's, it's really nice, semi-detached. And how, how long have you been there? Uh, since 2015 now. Okay, so so does it feel does it feel like home now? Yes, definitely. It felt like home after, you know, I'd moved my bits in, and it, it was very home. I mean, at first, it, you feel a bit lost. I just thought, what have I done? But um, afterwards, I just think, well, it's the safe, best place to be, and uh, and I'm quite happy here, and I've got made friends, which is difficult when you're older. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit? Mickey, about what the circumstances were that led to you contacting the Addington Fund for help with housing? We've been in the farm since 1976. It's a tenanted council farm. And um, it's just my husband and I. He had to do a second job to make, you know, we had the two children, they were quite small then. Um, And then over the years, we've just sort of muddled along and been quite happy working together. And then he was diagnosed with um, lung cancer. And um, he was told he had less than 12 months to live, which was, you know, a tough thing to have to accept for him, especially because he's always been a very hard working man and it meant that he couldn't do the jobs that he would always want to do. 
And so um, we made the decision then that he would get a contractor. In, well, I say we made the decision. My father-in-law, who's he was also a farmer, tenancy farmer, he contacted the RABI to see if they could help out financially to uh, to hire a contractor to do our plowing mm-hmm. and drilling. And and uh, that was all. That was very quickly settled they you know RABI were very good and then of course unfortunately he just went downhill and passed away May the 22nd 2009 and I didn't want to leave the farm because it was just too I'd been there for 49 years it was just just too well 45 when he was alive but but when we were younger, we, you know, I would say, what's going to happen when we're older? He said, well, we stay here, won't we? Because he had a lifetime tenancy agreement. But unfortunately, I didn't know it at the time, but my name was not on that agreement. It was just the husband's. You know, to find out that after he'd passed away, I mean, it was just hard. I then had to ask, you know, if I could just have five years, you know, just to, to, just to be on my own and, and hopefully manage on my own, which I did. So I stayed there for five years. Mm. And then it became apparent, although I was quite fit and healthy, I had the 70th birthday there, and I thought, what's going to happen when I'm not so fit and healthy, and how am I going to cope? So I wanted to find out how I would be uh, financially uh, with, a, with, a, with a flat or something from the council. Mm. And they said, because I hadn't got any dependents... I was being offered a council flat on an estate, and I couldn't take my and I couldn't take my dog, which I've got oh. a little jet bus. So we <laughs> yeah, that would have been so different, wouldn't it? Such a different life from what you were used to. Well, I just, I just, I love gardening. I love being outside. I just couldn't bear the thought of, you know. I just thought I'm not ready for that sort of life and not uh, sitting around. So I looked around private rentals in my area and they were just too expensive for me to to live on with the pension that I had that was all I had pension mm. and um and then my daughter said to me why don't you contact RABI and I just said look I'm not ask, asking them again they've already helped out you know once she said well you need to you know ask somebody and she did she rang them mm. and um they just said that they didn't I just wanted to know if they had any homes to rent and uh, they didn't, but they put us in touch with the Addington Fund, who I'd never even heard of. And um, and she, my daughter then rang me, and she just said, you're going to get a phone call from the Addington Fund. Well, I was absolutely horrified because I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want I didn't want to be to be refused. You know, when you oh. think they're going to they're going to say no, we haven't, yeah. we can't help you. And and I hate I didn't just didn't want that, so I'd rather not hear it. But anyway, they did ring up, and they. I can't honestly. I've, I've just owe everything to them. They've just been brilliant, brilliant. From that phone mm. call, what then happened, and how long did it all take? And did you get a choice, for example, and where you where you live? Well, this is this is just the, this is just the brilliance of this fund because it it gives you the choice. After they they help you come to see you to see what your financial situation is, and then you have to be assessed. Um, you know, within that sort of range, and then they'll give you a uh, a price range. You have to find your property on your own. Okay. They they will then vet it to see if it's uh, a suitable property for them to buy, and it can be any area in any, in the country, anywhere you like, but where you want to be, where you want you want to live. 
um, there was nothing in the price range in Bedfordshire Hearts, which was where I was. So um, I had a sister that lives in Rushton, which is in Northamptonshire. She said, why don't you come over here? And then meanwhile, you have to keep Paddington posted on your the homes that you're looking at so that they've got an idea of what sort of thing you are looking for. Once you've decided, you know, they come and look at it and then they say, yes, it's, it's, it's good. And we'll put in a bid for it, an offer. And I mean, that took from January when I first can, when my first daughter first contacted um, RABI. The sale went through on May the 22nd. In fact, it was the anniversary of my husband's passing away. So, so it was literally six months. How did you find moving, you know, moving across the country like that? Um, I was tearful. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, but uh, once I got everything out and, you know, moved to, you know, you have to hand the key over, you have to be at the farm and they come take the key from you and that's it. And you just feel a little bit, oh, that's the end of that era then now. I'm I'm on my own now. I just really feel on my own. Although I've been on my own for the five years that I stayed there after my husband died, um, I had lots of people, you know, popping in. Mm. But you move to another area and it's it's totally just feel completely alone. But the fact is I had the garden here, which is a godsend for me because I just got set to work and started on that. That that was the one thing I needed to be occupied. I think you need to be occupied but you can start feeling um, a bit sorry, not sorry for yourself, but it, it's just a, a strange feeling to have. You feel alone. You feel alone, even though you've got, you know, I've got a daughter and a son, but they've got their own lives. And, and my daughter says to me, Mum, nobody's going to come knocking on your door. You've got to make yourself go out there and find some some hobby or something that you can do, mix with people. There was a leaflet, that a flyer that came through the door to say that they were having, the village was having what they called a breakfast chinwag. I was telling my daughter about it and she said, well, go, go. And I said, how can I walk in that building on my own when I don't know anybody? She said, you've got to push, you've got to push yourself. So I walked in there with my, well, I could, I can't tell you how frightened I was, absolutely petrified, but. They were very friendly and put me on a table with a couple of other women and they started to chat and uh, one of them said that we have a bowls club, indoor bowls club, why don't you join that? And then somebody else said we do a table tennis club, why don't you join that? All things that I've never, ever done in my life. So that's where it all started to be nice and friendly and I was quite happy. What would you what would you say to other people listening who maybe they face that dilemma of needing to leave the farm, needing to have a different life, kind of start somewhere new again, what would you say to them? I'd say don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to move away. You know, most people are very kind. Most people, you know, they're not dragons, but I think because you live on a farm, it's a very insular life. Um, You don't meet a lot of people. Um, So... But I would definitely say, don't be afraid to move. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, because it is there. The Addington Fund um, introduced me to the Farming Community Network. They were wonderful. There was two men came to help me with the financial things because I hadn't got a clue about what 
do about, you know, tax returns and all that, this, that and the other. And I hadn't done anything like that. I never did it. All the time I was there, um, on my own, I never did anything about tax because I didn't think it applied. Mm. I was that naive because my husband did everything. I hadn't got any idea. He just said to me, you won't need to pay tax, Mickey, because you don't earn enough. That, to me, is, is, is part of the Addington Fund, that they sort that out for you. So it's, it's a mar- it's marvellous, marvellous uh, charity. It is. A, it is a, and, of course, if anything happens to me or I, I can't manage on my own or I have to leave here or I die, um, they then sell that property, my property mm-hmm. that I'm in now, and then that goes into the funds again. So mm-hmm. if nobody's lost anything. Yeah. Yeah, and then it can be used for, for someone else's house, can't it? Exactly. See, and they're sort of getting a rent from it you know, the whole time you're living in it. So it's it's really it's such a brilliant idea. I, I just can't can't say enough about it because it is just so good. A big thanks to Mickey for sharing her story so openly and candidly with us. Now I'm joined by Mark Thomas, head of services at the Farming Community Network, and Bill Young, chief executive of the Addington Fund. Mark, we're living through some pretty extraordinary times right now. Obviously, there's there's COVID, there's Brexit, we've got high input costs in farming, we've got reduction of farm payments coming through. You know, there are big things as well, like climate change, political instability. There's, There's a lot of uncertainty, isn't there? How is this, how would you say this is affecting people in your experience? Uh, well, I think you've put your finger on it, Jez, that there's a, a complex web of difficulties um, which can uh, or, or challenges for some which which can build up in terms of the daily stress that that people uh, are facing I think they are um, in general a very resilient community um, and uh, actually issues relating to covid apart from a couple of times during that period uh, have not been the main things that people have called FCN about. Um, I I think that the farming community have probably been used to the element of isolation. That's not necessarily a good thing, but it's probably made them a little more resilient through that time than perhaps the the general population. And the the top three issues every month are uh, mental well-being, people experiencing difficulties with stress or anxiety because of different issues, financial problems, and family relationship issues. And those three things have remained consistently uh, the top three through this period. But COVID, um, whether that be through disrupting people's ability to work, whether it be through, sadly, bereavements that have occurred, um, uh, the issues of isolation uh, have added to those difficulties and, and probably made them worse. Bill, what what about let, let's talk about housing, which is obviously what the Addington Fund specialises in. What sorts of pressures normally lead people to come to you? Because I mean, nas- I feel like nationally the picture at the moment is, you know, we know the UK more generally is facing a housing crisis. We've got increased cost of living, stagnant wages, cuts to universal credit. There's a lot of you know homelessness, poverty. All these things are you know building up, aren't they? What, how? How is this affecting people in terms of housing from your perspective? Well, we do two types of housing. One's affordable housing. Uh, We've got a cluster of those to try and keep youngsters in their chosen rural community, if you like. 
and then we do retirement housing. Uh, uh, those are two of our five areas we operate in and probably two of our most important areas. Um, I suppose it changes on a day-to-day -day basis which of one of those is the most important. Uh, if, we talk, if we were having this conversation two years ago, retirement homes would be right up at the forefront. Um, now, because of the new Death for Retirement Bill come, uh, Act, uh, provision for retirement coming through, nobody is actually get, applying to us for a retirement home at the moment because they want to see the tax implications of the lump sum. Uh, but against that, of course, affordable housing now is a real, real issue in, uh, in rural communities. We've seen a massive migration now from, uh, from cities to the countryside. We know broadband's good now. People feel quite happy living in the, in, in the, in the nicer areas. Uh, they probably only have to go into the office once a week instead of five times a week so they can work from home. And would you rather work from home in a small little flat in London or in a nice area of, uh, say, Cornwall, Devon or Dorset or somewhere like that? So um, that's put a huge issue. I mean, I've got a nice little anecdote here as well. I was a friend of mine down in Cornwall who did up a cottage on his farmyard, expecting to rent it out to a local, uh, getting about a thousand pound a month for it. Um, he put it on the internet for two hours, got 10 applications for it. Uh, two days later, had a viewing day, all 10 turned up for it straight away, having only been on the internet for a day when he advertised it. And somebody from London came and offered him £18,000 cash up front to rent that house for a year because he wanted to bolt on in the countryside. So how can youngsters, how can they, how can they compete against that? Uh, um, and, you know, they're on a, onto a hiding to nothing. I, and I look at our rents, particularly down in Cornwall, we've got over 20 houses in Cornwall, uh, you know, and we charge four fifty, five hundred. If they went now on the open market, most of those would go for £1,000 a month. And it is quite scary to think how people who want to be involved in local communities want to contribute to this fantastic industry we're in and yet won't have a roof over their heads. Um, on the counter side to that too, we've got emergency housing. We've had three cases last year of farm workers who for one reason or another, and mental health does come into this, um, that, you know, they were living in their cars, you know, so we're actually looking at somewhere now where we want to try and provide some provision for emergency housing for people who get into that sort of situation as well. Are you, I mean, that's interesting about the, the farm workers there. Is there some situations perhaps where um, farmers who would be employing farm workers and who would normally offer a house with the job are feeling tempted by these high rents and and changing the use of those houses to rent on the open market. Is that something that's happening or likely to happen, do you think? That's become an issue in recent years, definitely. Particularly if you look at the decline of the dairy industry, you know, a dairy herd often locked up three or four houses on on the farm or an estate. And the land agents have come in and said, crikey, look what we can do and get rid of the cows. Not only that, it frees up four houses and we can rent those out for silly money for people who want rural bolt holes from the city. So yeah, that's that's really made the problem worse, and um, and, and 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 contributed to the problem as well. Uh, it's it's it, it's 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 a whole raft of problems, not just one in particular. They're all coming together to conspire against uh, everything at the moment. I mean, you could find in three or four year thing that everybody goes back to the towns again, and the whole thing swings around. But you just don't know what's around the co the corner. I will say the rural communities and agriculture in general is very, very good at adapting. We're very good at changing to what the challenges ahead of us. If you look at you know, what's challenging us now, we've got the prices of nitrogen, 700 quid a tonne for that. 
Uh, I've just listened, been listening to the day programme. They've been talking about the evils of the phosphates in the River Wye, quite rightly. Uh, and farmers will adapt. They will find ways around that. And I expect in no time at all, you'll find chicken waste from Herefordshire being transported across the eastern counties where it's needed on the more uh, unfertile soil, shall we say. So that's what I said to you earlier. I'm really optimistic that I think farmers will always come through it and agricultural industry will change better and adapt better and quicker than other industries. Let's can we just talk about what what exactly is the help that that both charities can can offer people? Um, Mark, what are the different services that FCN offers? So really, we uh, we have three strands to the work of FCN Jez. Uh, the first is a, a helpline that's open every day of the year from seven a.m. through to eleven p.m. That's on oh three thousand treble one treble nine. And we have a, a an email help facility help at fcn.org.uk, and that that helpline tends to be the um, the first line of support. Uh, it's there to listen to people, to encourage them to uh, talk about what it is that's concerning them, to understand that, to help them think about the options that they have, um, to uh, connect them with additional support if if that's what they'd like to do. Uh, that helpline, of course, is completely confidential um, and we take privacy very, very seriously. Um, the, the second component is a, a local network of volunteers. These are people uh, in the farming community connected with the, the agricultural industry who understand the language, understand the issues, um, and they work in county groups uh, throughout England and Wales. Uh, and they're there really to provide that link to practical farming support if that's needed, um, but also ongoing emotional and, and pastoral support to people who are going through a, a difficult time. And then the third area is uh, one of trying to be more proactive at encouraging people to think about resilience, to think about managing change, um, uh, and really to uh, hopefully avoid needing to pick up the phone and talk to a helpline. So it's around self-help. Uh, and we do that under the heading of Farmwell. And that's an online resource at farmwell.org.uk. A whole wealth of information uh, to encourage people to think about um, how they can build resilience, how they can manage through future change, um, how they can plan for uh, the unexpected, perhaps, in terms of contingency planning, issues like that that, that can cause uh, difficulties on a daily basis to people. Uh, I was going to ask you, you know, what can people do? Like, how can we all support each other through this sort of uncertain times at the moment? But it sounds like your resource is uh, is a really good 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 place to start for that. Yeah, I mean, t take take a look at. I encourage people to look at Farmwell. There, there is a lot of information on there. It's a, it's a good starting point. Um, I, I think um, you know that my, I, I'm passionate about managing workplace stress. I, I think it's the entry level for a lot of difficulties that that people can face and and a lot of anxiety. Um, there are all sorts of techniques that people can use um, to help manage that. Um, but I also think that we all have. An individual responsibility to help change this this tough as old boots culture that tends to exist in farming. Um, we are we are resilient as a as a farming community, and and that's great. 
Um, but we also all at times in our lives go through periods where we could do with a bit of extra help and support. And I think it's really important that people know that uh, it's a strength to ask for that help. It's not a weakness. And I think we can all do something to break down the stigma about uh, mental health, about um, asking for uh, assistance during those times. And so I'd, um, I'd really encourage everyone to take steps in their own groups, whether that's where they work or uh, their friends, uh, their families, to make sure that it's okay to talk about this sort of thing. That, that can avoid leading on to bigger and more difficult problems. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, can you tell us a little bit more about how the Addington Fund works? You mentioned earlier that you you mainly um, you, you're mainly offering housing to young people and also retired people. Can you tell us a little bit about how that relationship works between between you you as I guess the landlord are you? Yeah, look, well, I'll go through. We've got five objectives. I've already mentioned retirement homes and affordable houses as the first two. We also do disaster relief. So we've got a sort of half million pound pot, which we always got on hand to say to help if um, you know we have an inclement weather incident, um, snow drifts or something, or dare I say it, foot and mouth, possibly avian flu either. And uh, with what's going on in the pig industry as well, you know, that with some of the money might be needed for that because uh, those are two unsupported areas of agriculture, which are really up against it at the moment. Uh, then on top of that, as the fourth area, we do uh, we help farm workers as well, and we've actually opened up that fund wider now to try and help more people, and that will include some of the Eastern Europeans who work over here and get into trouble as well. And the final one is a, more of a recent initiative, which uh, Chairman Peter Jimman and myself are very very keen on, is bringing young blood into the industry because it's very restrictive and hard to get into agriculture. And uh, I'm a bit of a saddo because I drive around the countryside and try and work out who's farming what land by the size of the tram line, what's the kit they've got. Uh, and um, <clears throat> what I do notice is that the ones who've come into the industry, very industry as key decision makers or first generation farmers often turn out to be the better farmers. And, uh, and I want to encourage more youngsters in there to, you know, just to build up the industry for the future, really. So we've got some legacy farms on the way to us which we're going to use purely for, for, that, uh, for that development as the first rung of the old farming ladder to sort of replace the old council small holdings, which have sadly disappeared. And, uh, you know, I read George Henderson's great book, The Farming Ladder, when I was about 12. And that's the book that got me into the industry. And, uh, and now those farms don't exist. So uh, if, we can get, uh, if we can get some youngsters into industry, bring that average age down, uh, which went up for the first time from 57 to 59 last year, which I find quite a staggering statistic. Um, and if we can get the average age of farmers down to 50 or even late 40s, <clears throat> that, you know, that would make a huge impact on the industry. Those legacy farms sound really interesting, really useful. Um, how can how can young people get, like find out about that? Well, when we get them, we're going to put them up onto the website exactly that, and go and to create a shortlist, an interview, and I want we'll want people who are agriculturally trained but uh, haven't got a chance of getting into the industry themselves. You know, from 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 a standing start. So you know, we'll come up with competitive rents. Um, uh, and uh, you know, hopefully a house with it and, and use that as a starting ground. But we're also involved the wider industry. You know, I shall involve land agents, supermarkets, 
uh, and the likes to uh, to actually help them uh, in the, in their rovery business and make them quite high profile as well. You know, sort of sort of ambassadors in the area, and you know, some will probably fail. I mean, let's not make two bones about it. But at least we'll learn from the experience and 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 and, and find out why. So leaving leaving your farm to the Addington Fund is one way that that farmers and, and people in the industry can help. You know, how else can they can they help the the charity? We we try and stay lean. Uh, we believe in that um, keeping our costs down and 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 staying efficient helps us to help more people. But uh, to so many charities who actually and and, and it, it scares me how the, how they go hand to mouth and rely on funding. We are very sustainable. That now we we're lucky. We've got just under seventy houses, and the um, the subsidised rents which are paid pay for the running of the charity. So. We are now at the stage where if you, you pulled out a pound out of your pocket, Jez, it would go straight straight into the next good cause. And and I, I and I'm I'm pretty proud that we've actually hit that level now. And uh, and that has really put us on a good financial footing. Um and we'll 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 see how it goes. So now we're looking for suitable projects, if you like, to build more rural houses. But you know, I don't want to go out as a charity and play full market value for for plots, houses, etc. Uh, particularly for the affordable ones, I want to bring in partners in the form of landowners, builders, uh, entrepreneurs, and um, and benefactors who who share our vision and 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 want to uh, not only add to the bottom line of Addington, but also um, uh, who want to help their rural communities. And, and create a, uh, um, a sustainable uh, um, environment for them to grow up in. I'm sure there are a lot of a lot of opportunities there for somebody like you say who shares that shares that vision. I can I can kind of imagine some really amazing, vibrant communities created there. Um, Mark, just coming back to you, what what's uh, you know what can people do to help? FCN. I feel like there's there's a lot of love in the farming community for for FCN and all the all the other farming charities. Um, and I think one thing that that the farming community is really good at actually is putting their hands in their pockets and and helping often. Um, you know, what can people do to to help the charity? What do you need? Um, well, uh, FCN is is built around volunteers. Um, it, it's a volunteer organisation. It's people who go out and do the work of FCN, rather it's volunteers rather than the staff. Um, and so, yes, of course, um, financial assistance to help with training to that volunteer network is important. Um, but actually, probably the biggest thing that people can do and the most helpful thing is to make sure that those people in their community, um, within their families, within their um uh, their workplace know that they're uh, an organisation like FCN, like Addington Fund, like Forage Aid uh, exist, are there to help and provide support when it's necessary, um, to look out for their neighbours and their friends, uh, encourage them to uh, know that it's all right to ask for help when, when you need some, uh, and make sure that they know, they know how to connect with us. It, it's that awareness, I think, that is the key thing. Um, and anything that people can do to help us with regards to that is is greatly appreciated. Yeah, and it's also very important that charities go on working together and have our own niche areas, I think. 
I mean, Farming Help is a truly great organisation in that all, all five of us in that, which is RAB, RABI, RSABI, um, FCN and Forage Aid and ourselves. You know, we all got our own niche areas and it enables us to challenge our strengths and complement each other and also refer uh, sad cases to other charities who are in a better position to help. Thanks, Jez. And again, to Mickey for sharing her story and to Mark and Bill there. If anyone out there is struggling, there's always help available and a listening ear to talk to. I'd urge everyone to check out our website, head to fginsight.com forward slash farmers strive to thrive, which has loads of information about where to get help, plus all the phone numbers and online helplines you need to take that first step. We also share personal stories from other farmers and individuals who have suffered themselves and practical advice on what to do in times of need. When it comes to looking after you and your worries and stresses, remember you are never on your own. That website again, fginsight.com forward slash farmers strive to thrive. Well, that's it for this week. Once again, thank you for listening and all your support for Over the Farm Gate. We'll be back next week with more. Goodbye for now.